Hello, and welcome to the Activation Nation podcast, your weekly source of actionable advice from industry experts in self-development, health, life vantage products, network marketing, and more to help you activate your wellness, your business, and your life. Today's episode focuses on product, one of the four pillars of belief. But first, the legal stuff. You may hear our guests talk about the income they've earned or how their health has been affected with LifeVantage. Please note that the average annual earnings of a typical active LifeVantage distributor in 2021 was $704. For the most up-to-date information, please click the link in our show notes. Any product statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, here's your host to dive into today's story to help you activate your life. Sorry, you guys, I'm laughing. Welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. You know what? A couple of weeks ago, we did this and we had some technical problems. And so we're having a little fun with everybody uh, here this, this afternoon. My name is Jesse Allen. I'm the Senior Vice President of Product Marketing here at LifeVantage. And uh, two of my favorite people, um, not just even at LifeVantage, two of my just favorite people are here today. Mm, Lisa sure. Barnes. We want that in writing. I will. Here, I'll write it right now. Lisa Barnes, <laughs> our VP of R&D, and uh, Christina Beer, uh, Dr. Christina Beer um, from the R&D department as well. This is a continuation. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, we talked all about uh, product efficacy, product quality. safety, product quality, um, a real emphasis on, on what we do to ensure those those three aspects of the products. And this is, we talked about it a little bit, that, that this was kind of a two-part. This is a continuation of that conversation. Um, unfortunately, Adam's not with us, who was with us last time, our director of quality, um, but Christina's here now. Thank you. <laughs> and we're gonna talk all about uh, the clinical studies and the studies behind our products, behind raw materials, um, different types of studies. I think we got three different types of mm-hmm. studies that we're going to talk about, yep. um, and why we why we why we use one versus another, their purpose, and all about all that. Right? Yep. That's the, that's did, the I, plan. did I did I miss that's anything? Right. Got everything. No. You did well. You got it right on target. Thank you. You guys were off to a good that's start. That's why we're one of his favorite. People. We're off to a good start. Okay, <laughs> here are just just to set set the course and a bit of an agenda. Um, we're, there's three different studies primarily that we're going to talk about in vitro and uh, can I say in vitro and RNA sequencing? Yep, RNA yep. sequencing is an example of in vitro. Okay, then we're going to talk about like consumer trials. So uh, and and then we're going to talk about human clinicals. Right? Correct. Um, and are we going to keep this all around a finished product, or are we going to going to also talk about those tests in conjunction with raw materials, or is it we're just going to piece it all together? We can piece it all together, but probably focusing more on the product side, the fin- since we like did a- cover a little bit of the raw material last time we chatted. Okay. Okay, so that was partially how we knew what ingredients to choose is that we looked at what clinicals had been performed on them, which actually are some of these different categories that we'll discuss. Okay, so we can segue in. Perfect, perfect. Well, let's get started. Let's start with uh, in vitro and you might need to define that so people know what we're saying when we say in vitro studies. I'll let you take that one, Christina. Sure. So in vitro is a fancy Latin word for doing something in a cell. And uh, basically you take the cell from some kind of organ that you are interested in for a absorption study or a metabolism study or 
you know, just depending on what kind of study you're looking at, you choose a certain cell line. So you grow up the cell and then you treat it with, with our product, the product we're interested in, and you get a response in that cell. Right? Yes. And depending on that response, it tells you uh, what we're looking at. For example, if we do our NERF2 product, Pretendum uh, NERF2 Synergizer, we take the actives, we grow the cells. So, and what cell types do we typically yes, use? Yes, exactly. So we want to use a cell type that turns over quickly because it's metabolically active. For example, a liver cell or a kidney cell or a heart cell or a gut cell because the turnover of those cells in the human body is quick. So we want to study the effect of NERF2 in those cell, type, cell types. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then we, we, there's a method and I'm not the expert, we use third-party experts to grow the cells. There's a certain way of growing them, certain media and conditions. And then we treat them with protein, NERF2. And then we read gene expressions, most likely. Or we can do protein activity assays that we're looking at. Or we can do protein analysis amounts, quantitative amounts, what that cell produces mm. under that treatment. Can we, let, let's back up just a little yeah. bit. And because and, you mentioned third party, and I think that's important that all of our studies, well, the majority of our studies, maybe not the consumer, but certainly in vitro and human clinicals, they are actually done and performed with, with a, a third party lab. Correct. Um, and, and maybe without going into too much detail and just boring everybody, not that it's boring, um, like our IRB and what that means. And, 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 and the reason I want to do that is because I want to help understand and create this narrative of like, we're not just sitting at a desk and it's just a couple of us that are doing this, but there is, there is protocol that is followed. Um, and that, Help, help us understand so, that. So IRB is an internal review board, and that's usually, you have to get an approval if you do a human clinical, which we'll talk about a little later. Okay. So for in vitro studies, you don't need an IRB approval. Because okay. we're not testing on people. Yeah. Right. Okay. So when we, do an, uh, an, when we decide to do an in vitro study on one of our products, or even a raw material, then we, we have a third-party lab that they're experts in this. Yeah. We're not experts in this. We have the theory. We'll write up the protocol with the experts. We tell them this is what we want to study. And then there's a dialogue going back and forth. It can go what's on the best for way? And that's two yeah. weeks. Yeah. yeah, what's the best way of doing this? Mm -hmm. And then we listen to these experts. And they, and then we come up with a with a protocol that we can agree upon. Yep. Yeah, they're very used to us giving them a call and being like, "Okay, so we have this crazy idea. Yeah. What's the best way of making it happen?" Yep. And so then we get on a discussion with them. We say, "Okay, this is the gene expression we want. What cell line should we do it in? Yeah. What should be step one, step two, step three? Because you can't just go right in and just pick any sort of cell line and just start dosing." There's multiple steps you have to do. The first thing we do with any of our in vitro studies is we also we have to determine what dosage we use because it's not going to be it's not going to be the dosage that we're having exactly in a pill. No, no. And it needs to be appropriate yeah. for the cell type just or so we, we don't can, or we're going to kill it. Okay. Right. We're going to overdose and we're going to put too much stuff in there exactly. and we're gonna, just going to kill nothing the to do cells. with product safety in a no. human, but just <laughs> specifically for one like yeah. a cell line. And so, so right, a cell is a cell is grown. Whether so, we've got a product that's let, let's just say we've got a product that is going to address heart health. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we they take a 
cell uh, or somehow they grow heart cells mm-hmm. the, then in literally in a dish right yes. they take the the cells that are in the dish and then they inoculate or expose those cells to the, different dosages the dosages right. of what of of what would be the equivalent of the finished product that a that an individual would be consuming Correct. Correct. and then they measure how do those cells respond to the dosage that that was applied to yes, them. Yes, and not just dosage, but we do it over time too, uh-huh. because every gene expression in in a cell is different. Yeah, it expresses at different times, so yeah. we have different time points where we actually take measurements uh-huh. as well. And 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 the the end objective. What's the end objective of doing that? Is it so? The end objective is to have the optimum dosage. Mm-hmm. for the right amount of time so that we have the best expression and the, or the best reaction of this gene in this cell line. Okay. So we look at different dosages and then, okay, and that helps us. That So this is done during the development process to help us identify that we've got, we've really formulated the right way and that we're getting, we are providing the the, the most beneficial product and product to the consumer correct correct yeah it's stage one of our testing and so then once we've determined that correct dosage and the correct time points that we want to explore then we really need to look at what are our objectives there we can look at specific gene targets so if we already know we want to look at gene a b and c that's what we're really interested in i don't really care what anything else does i want i really want to see what it does in these three genes that's kind of a more targeted approach. And sometimes we do that with NRF2, if we're looking at new ingredients that could potentially activate that pathway, because we know what some of those hallmarks should be. So we go very targeted. One benefit of going targeted is that it can be quicker, and a lot of times it can be more inexpensive. So if we wanna just test a whole bunch of different materials, that's a good screen through. Also, we can go more exploratory and go broader. And that's where RNA sequencing that you mentioned comes in, where you're really looking at the entire genome of whatever cell type that you are investigating. So every gene that'll be expressed, upregulated or downregulated, you'll see it every, you'll see all of them. So essentially what you'll end up with is rows and rows and rows and rows tens of thousands of rows of genes, because there's so many that are expressed in each cell type, Mm -hmm. and you can see the impacts and the significance that your product had on all of those. The beauty of RNA sequencing, so gene expression is very good at targeting. Let's let's see exactly what's happening. The RNA sequences is more pathways. So we see all these genes that are kind of clustered together and have similar functions. Okay, let's kind of trace how it's working and we can understand the mechanism of action for it. uh, you mentioned a, like a couple of weeks. Like, what, what, what's the time duration for one, for like an in vitro study? So ideal, yeah, average, on average, yeah. ideally, it can take two, two, three weeks to get the protocol ironed out, so that mm-hmm. we're happy, both sides are happy, and then in the meantime, since we have a history with this with this third party, they already order ingredients. They know it's going to happen. And then once we get the go ahead, yes, go ahead and do the study, it can take anything from a week, depending on how many genes we want to look at, mm-hmm. to a month okay. for results to come in. OK. 
Okay. Right. But then comes the harder part, the and analysis. that's analyzing the results. Yeah. Exactly. Right? To your point, right? Like 10,000 oh, or yes. thousands Literally, not even exaggerating. Yes, yes, yes. And all of that has to be analyzed to figure out Correct. what is it really doing. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. there even is our calculations that need to be made to understand the significance of the data and determine, for example, if we're looking at this gene, what fold increase or decrease did we see? It's mm -hmm. not laid out. Right, Correct. easily for that. Yeah, it's just data, and so there's math that needs to be done for the every single row. And right. so Christina will, we've been seeing it on a study we've been working on currently, where she's just been digging into her hole for hours at a time. Yes, I put the blinders on. And don't bother me, and I have tunnel vision. <laughs> and, and I'll come over and talk. I to dream her about numbers. Exactly. She's just like I'm just seeing I'm rows just seeing of numbers. Excel. <laughs> Okay, so so a couple of weeks to a month to like write up the protocol and the back and forth with the lab and how really should we be testing this? Exactly. What should we be looking at? What should right? So we do that, and then you know a week to a month of of actual inoculation, and the, and then and then the we get the data back, and then and then it's really just however long. Yeah, yeah, based on the amount of data. So it so it's not insignificant, right? It's, no, but it's, it's much faster than any other forms of testing, which is okay. another benefit of it. So you get kind of the speediness to getting results. You can screen through things quickly, yeah. less cost, and then we don't need to go through all of the necessary approvals like our IRB, which we'll talk about. Okay. So there's a lot less barriers to entry, so we can really get a lot of data fast. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned, um, you just said cost. Like, give me an idea of what an in vitro study costs on average. Well, I would say, depending on how many genes they want to analyze, because there's costs associated with yeah. with every gene, because you have to make a prime. It's all technical. <laughs> so I would say it can run anywhere from 20000 to sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. Okay. So yeah. it's a, it's it's a, so it's, it's a an investment. Yeah, it it's absolutely. an investment for the organization yeah. to, to do that. And you absolutely. can even do some more targeted ones that are just if you test two products and maybe only a handful of genes, you can even get it down like closer to 10. Right. Yeah. We've just been doing a lot of bidding, so I have a, I have like a PDF that's in my mind of different and, tiers of studies. Right. Okay. So so that that then tells us what what we really end up with once the in vitro is done is it tells us how genes are being upregulated or downregulated. Correct. Which which gives us an indication of how the the benefit that it's going to provide to the end consumer, Correct. right? Because the gene their their cells are going to respond more or less the same of what we saw with the in vitro study, yes. right? Correct. Genes are going to upregulate or downregulate, and we know that when genes are activated one way or the other, there is a benefit or a response exactly. to the organism or the human. Okay. Then, then where do we go from there? So we've we've done an in vitro study, we've seen we we have identified what's which genes are 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 activated and moving which direction. We've we have satisfied or proved that okay, this is what we thought was going to happen. This is what we wanted to happen. We now see and have proof that it is happening. Then what's the next step or the next the next study? Then you got to put it on people if it's a topical or put it in people if it's an ingestible. You need to let them try it and make sure it has those benefits that you saw in vitro mm -hmm. actually in their lives. And there's two yes. different ways that you can do it in people. Okay. First, you have the consumer study. Yep. And then we also have the clinical study that okay. we um, mentioned earlier. So consumer is a little easier and once again, less expensive, 
most of the time. They, yes. can, they can make it pretty. We've seen some expensive quotes for them. They can run high too, but it tends to be less invasive. You're not drawing any sort of blood. You're not analyzing any fluids. You're mostly just going through questionnaires and really understanding the consumer experience. So they're using yeah. a product for a month and then you're doing a periodic questionnaire. You have baseline one, two, three, four week. Did you see change and really draw out the benefits from there. It's more subjective, but it really, when you think about when you're creating a product for someone, I mean, objective measures are wonderful, but if they're not feeling it, if they're not experiencing the benefits, mm -hmm. then are they gonna keep buying it? Yeah. yeah. Like we want you to, if you're experiencing something, we want you to feel better. And so we want to understand that consumer experience piece. I mean, beyond efficacy, during a lot of that, we get input on, the format, the flavor, the experience, any yeah. potential side effects. We hear a lot from that that helps guide any additional steps. Do we move forward? Do we go back to the drawing board? It gives us a lot of information. Yeah, okay, so with the consumer trial then, or the consumer study, we're looking at, we're measuring multiple things, correct? correct? So, because it is subjective from the from the, the trial group. And and what, from a, from like a, and maybe this isn't the right way to think about it, but from like a statistical significance standpoint, um, like how many consumers do we typically want looking at the product? Because opinions of two, two isn't, isn't doesn't doesn't make it, yeah. any sense. No. So how many like how many people do we typically have in those consumer trials, or what what's the ideal maybe? Uh, if we're looking at a topical, we want to have at least thirty people. Okay. To get somewhat of a difference yeah, in the yeah, opinion and, mm -hmm. and actually get a statistical significance. So so the amount of 30 people is usually what we go with. With for an ingestible, we want about oh, 50 people, hopefully. Uh -huh. um, that would be the ideal for a statistical significance. But then it also depends on what are we looking for, right? If mm -hmm. it's just exploratory and to see if it's is this the, are we going in the right trend or, mm -hmm. or is this not working at all? So I would say 20 people is all we need just to see a trend, Yeah. Mm -hmm. but it won't be statistically significant that trend, but at least we see that we're going in the right direction. And you could follow it up with something else. Exactly. Something mm -hmm. also important to note between topicals and ingestibles is how we approach the study. So with an ingestible, we always compare it to a placebo. Yeah. So we have just a capsule that's full, filled with filler and it's just, you just take it and then compare it to our active product. For topicals, we don't do this. We don't compare to a placebo. Mm -hmm. The raw material suppliers, when they develop their materials, they'll compare, they'll do their clinical studies versus a placebo that doesn't include that ingredient. And that's great data. Yeah. But for topicals, we don't think about topicals as just one ingredient in a delivery system. The delivery system is part of the activity. Okay. You get so much benefit from hydration or from antioxidants or some of these just kind of base pieces of your formula that you wouldn't consider your actives. So your entire formula is active. I actually got in a huge fight about this with one of <laughs> my previous job with someone who only did um, ingestible clinicals. And he's like, you always need to have placebo controlled for topical yeah. as well. And I'm like, I consider my entire topical formula to be active. And got so it. Got it. we always, for those, we always test versus untreated. Because the minute you introduce something to your skin, you will start seeing some benefit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So maybe a, maybe a plug for those that are watching or those that are listening. The consumer trials, uh, we do on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, yes. And, and we are always recruiting 
consultants, right? Uh, Life Vantage consultants to actually participate, not always, but quite often we're, we're recruiting them to participate yeah. in the consumer trials. So if you want to participate, comment, right? Just let us know. We'll add you to the list or email us. And I always forget product questions. Product questions. Yep. Product questions. Product questions at com. You can email that and say, hey, I want to participate in a consumer <laughs> trial and we'll add you to the list. Yes. And with the consumer trials, we have two ways that we do them. So the list that you would be on would be for in our internal consumer trials yeah. where we'll kind of field the study, we'll gather it, we'll do the statistics. We also will sometimes employ third parties, especially yeah. depending on the scope of the study. Yep. If there's gonna be quite a few participants and the statistics are gonna be pretty complex, right. we'll yeah. use a third party. But the cost right. obviously does go up exponentially with yeah. that, so we'll do both models. And I don't think we necessarily always do it this way, but I think the majority of the time we will do like an internal study get a pretty good idea and then if we if we need to use the if we want to use the information for marketing or whatever then we'll use that third party exactly right? Right. exactly yeah. just for that additional yeah. validation yeah 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 and it removes any subjectivity of, exactly of any us. bias that's right yeah any bias that's probably the right yeah. word um okay so consumer trial yes. and sometimes we will end there right or the consumer study we won't go on to a a human clinical agree um it depends on the product type okay yeah talk to that like why why would we make the decision to say okay we're satisfied with just a a, a consumer trial we're satisfied there we know we've got a, a a good product um a human clinical is not necessary how what how do we make that distinction so for me when i think about it with a product that's incredibly experiential the most benefit that I get from a study is from this consumer trial because we're getting really the opinions of them. I, some of the objective things are okay, but I don't think it adds as much benefit. So if it, the product is very experiential, then mm -hmm. consumer trial is usually it for me. For some of the more higher anti-aging, potentially, yes. but there's a lot of cost that comes along with it. Yeah, for example, if we do a, hypothetically, we would make a joint product or something like that. We don't have the expertise to evaluate a joint health because there has to be uh, inclusion criteria. You're not eligible because your joint is too far gone. You're included because you're right in the right target of, of where a supplement would be beneficial. So there's a lot of um, inclusion and exclusion criteria that we don't have the expertise or the instrumentation to do. Instrumentation yeah. is huge. Yes, yeah. and therefore we have to use a CRO, which is a clinical research organization, and partner with them, and they will write the protocol with our help and our approval. They will get the IRB approval so that we can actually do x-rays or whatever it is that you want to test. and. Uh, and then they run the whole study, write the report, and send it back to us. Yeah. Okay. So the 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 reason to maybe end with a at at consumer trial is is going to be product specific. Yeah. Correct. Really what, exactly. What, yes. What we need to measure mm -hmm. and kind of what claims we want to make. For example, on the skincare side, if we're okay just making claims like X percent of people agreed that this their skin looked better, then this consumer test. Perfect. That's what that information gives us. And if we have enough people in the consumer trial, we can say that with confidence. Yeah. But if we want to say we saw an X percent increase in hydration, 
that needs to be done with instrumentation. And yeah. that's where you need to go to a clinical. Or we want to have a dermatologist grade it. Because even though like, they're assessing it with their eyes, we don't count that as subjective. They are trained and they are honed in. And so they're, the dermatologist grading is actually an objective grading. Yeah. They know they've seen so much. They can grade it on a scale of one to 10 and it can be treated as I mean, as a kind of a like instrumentation because they are finely tuned. And so it kind of depends on what we feel like is going to be the most compelling for the certain product. Once again, product specific, but there are some metrics that it does make sense to bring in instrumentation. For example, if we want to say that we saw an increase in hydration in 24 hours, third party, that's a quick third party clinic, human clinical, because once again, just 24 hours, take it one or put it on once come back in 24 hours, done, then just do the analytics with it. Uh -huh. yeah. But they can go from all the way from 24 hours out to 12 weeks plus for some of the anti-aging measurements. But okay. it does add the objectivity yeah. that come from those different metrics. Okay, let's talk, let's talk a little bit more. Give us like the rundown of the, the like a human clinical, human study. And, and uh, I mean, you've talked about it a little bit already, but yeah how how it works, what's the protocol, and why we would choose to, to do that. Okay. Well, what we will start with is talking with whoever our contract research organization is. It may be even, for example, for skincare, we just talk to a dermatologist right. who and, can sponsor the and study. And some CROs are specialized in certain areas. Agreed. So you need to find the right CRO for that. So we'll shop around for CROs mm -hmm. and talk to them to see who has the proposal that makes the most sense for what we're looking for, both budget-wise and claims-wise and time-wise. Time-wise, that's Because we want to make sure we get the data back in a as quickly as possible. Yes. So once we've kind of landed on, okay, you're the one who has the vision of what we're wanting, then we start writing the protocol more detailed. We They give us a draft, usually we go back and forth, similar mm -hmm. to what we did on the in vitro, uh, in vitro studies. Yeah. Okay. And so then we kind of lock it into place. But what's different then is the IRB approval, yes. if you want to go into that. Yes, yeah, so once we decide on a protocol, they will take the protocol to an, a specialized, they call it, uh, internal review board, and that could be a third party on their part as well. Uh, or they may actually have an internal review board that consists of uh, physicians, um, statisticians, other scientists, and and primary, you know, primarily, it, it's more concerning more about safety issues mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah. Is blood being drawn, uh, saliva, or other bodily fluids? Um, are we doing biopsies or, or things like that? So they look at the invasiveness of the whole study. Mm -hmm. Is the study going to hurt the yes. consumer or is, is it, it an acceptable? Is an acceptable study, right? And then they either approve it or they reject it. And uh, and then it goes back to the CRO and um, and you know we sign off on it and. Can start we can like, start it. And when you say acceptable, acceptable both from like a, a safety standpoint, nobody's going to be hurt and or And a methodology injured. perspective Yeah, as the well. methodology, like, yes. like they're reviewing it to say, well, your protocol and what you're trying to measure, the end result, really don't match. Correct. 
Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah they, but also from a safety standpoint on what's in the products. Because we have to tell the, the CRO, we have this in the product, we have these ingredients in the product. Yeah. And then uh, they do the safety assessment of those ingredients. Toxicology yeah. Tox- assessment. And exclusion is pregnant women or, yeah. you know, kids can't be, you have to be this age. So there's a lot of steps that they look at. Safety, mostly safety yeah. steps. That yeah, they for example, at. on the yeah. skin side too, before we start a human clinical, we have to have... Um, some testing already done. We have to have safety testing, like we talked about two weeks ago, the patch testing, the repeat insult patch testing. We have to have that usually completed so that we can show that there's tolerability for the product. And so there's low risk of anyone having any issues within the study. So that kind of lowers the risk right up the bat. We also have to prove that the product is stable and also that it has um, no micro. So it's very stable as far as micro as well. So that the product that they're getting is as good as a final product and they're not risking anything right. unnecessarily. Right, so that's the difference to dietary exactly. supplements, ingestibles, because in ingestibles, they look at the safety of the ingredients. Mm-hmm. On, on how safe are the ingredients? Is it caffeine? How much caffeine do you have in there? You know, if you do 400 milligrams of caffeine, they're gonna say no, because that's the op- upper tolerable limit that the FDA has set for mm-hmm. safety on caffeine. So they'll say no right away. But if it's 100 milligrams, they'll say yes. But then they'll also look at the herbs that you're testing, right? They may come back and say, show me some safety data on these. So we don't do preliminary safety like you do with the patch test and Mm -hmm. and some of the other testing that you do in in, uh, topical applications. So they go more into the literature and experience. Got it. And and like duration of these types of, of tests, like how long does a human study last yeah so i'll talk skin again i'll let you talk ingestible so like i mentioned it can be something that's within one day depending on what the metric is sometimes we want to see something immediately happening hydration we want to see an immediate radiance and we're just like we don't care what it does 12 weeks from now we just need to like we want a one hour claim it can be that simple or it can go all the way out to 16 weeks especially with any sort of wrinkle studies mm. anything with pigmentation and age spots yeah it takes time for there to be change and so you tend to go out a little bit farther typically i yeah. mean it depends on what your ingredients are to ensure that you capture what will happen i mean you and you also put like multiple time points within there. So for example, if you do a 12 week or 16 week study, you're gonna have them come in at three weeks and six weeks. Cause you're hoping, yeah. you're yeah, really yeah. hoping you're gonna see data earlier on. Yeah. But what you're wanting to show is that like we start seeing benefit at one week, but is if you keep using it through 12 weeks, 16 weeks, look what will happen. Yeah. And so it kind of just shows the progression of efficacy. Okay. But, but not just that, and this is the same with ingestibles is the recruitment takes time too. Mm. So if you need 50 people and they trickle in over time, they're not all gonna come at the same day. 50 yeah. people, that's that, you you recruit maybe two people a day yeah. or 10 people a week. So it'll take five weeks just to recruit all of the 50 people. And it's the same with ingestibles. So it adds, that time frame adds on to when the last data point comes in. That makes but sense. But ingestibles yeah. can also go longer oh, too, depending on what they're looking depending at. Depending on what you're looking at. If you're looking at a, at a one week or an immediate boost with caffeine, I'll take caffeine as an example. Caffeine, we all know that caffeine is pretty immediate, right? So that may, again, only be a one-time uh, time point as well. Whereas if you do something else, uh, another benefit that you're looking at 
that may take three or four months to mm -hmm. do. So it all depends on uh, the end result that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, participation, similar to uh, like the consumer trial, like as far as 30 to 50 participants or does yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Which you're looking for a statistical significance. So it'd okay, be yeah. similar criteria. Yeah. Yeah. And so what they'll do is we, a lot of times we'll give parameters. Like we, our target audience for this product is age 35 to 55. And we want to make sure for skin product, we don't want to just target people with incredibly pale skin. Mm -hmm. We want to look at everybody because we have a wide audience. So we want to make sure to recruit within that as well. So we kind of specify. And one thing they also do with the participants for these studies is they are compensated for participating yes. in these studies. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. they have no affiliation with us whatsoever. They're just yeah. coming in because they want to try a product. Right. And I, exactly. I think I, I think it's safe to say the majority of the time they don't know that they're even doing it on our for no. us, right? Oh, they don't, they no, don't no we don't brand anything. No, yeah. They branded. they keep it incredibly usually there's numbers or a for, like a formula number. Yeah. No one it's knows. It's called double it blinded. Yeah. You know. Randomized yeah, so so the, what they're taking. So Yeah. So the yeah. participant doesn't know that that no. like this the product that they're testing would eventually be a life managed product. No. Oh, not at all. No. And they probably never will know. Yeah. Sometimes though it'll be really funny after a study, like a consumer use, they'll be like, Can you just tell us like what yeah. the I like I really <laughs> like this product. Yeah. Can I keep using it? Can I keep it? using it? We get yes. that a lot. Can I have a, some more? Because a part of some consumer testing is that you'll actually bring them in for focus groups too, where you not only have a questionnaire from them, but you get to hear them kind of discussing. And sometimes then you bring in some brand. Sure. at that point but a lot of times you still keep it pretty blind yeah. and you'll hear them they'll be like so this really like made a big difference with my life can you just let me some that's yeah. funny that's funny um cost wise of a human clinical so a human clinical uh since we want statistical significance and potential write-up make a paper out of it or something publication or something we want it to be statistically significant so these studies can run into hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Half a million dollar is not unheard of. Yeah. So they can become very, very, very expensive. Plus the cost of the products, yeah. uh, the cost of uh, the analyses. Exactly. And uh, so they can become very, very expensive. Yeah. 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 So it is definitely the highest yeah. tier as far as yeah. cost. Mm -hmm. Which I, it, it, and I think that also helps us, you know, and helps those that are listening, how we make the decision between Okay, we've done a consumer trial. Do we need a human clinical Correct, or not? Exactly. And sometimes it's just a matter you know, of priorities. Just, yes. Yeah, and just a financial decision. And what type a, of product? Yeah, does it yeah. make sense? Will it really bring us a lot of benefit to continue to study it in this way? If it yeah. does, then let's prioritize that. Yeah. Yeah. But if we've got what we need and we feel like it's compelling as is, let's just continue Correct. forward. Yeah. yeah. The um, okay, maybe talk about this just a little bit um, because I know it's one thing with there is an element of with these with these studies it gives us um, the word substantiation it allows us to substantiate from a claim standpoint what the product is actually is actually doing and and there's always a little bit of it's normal right some frustration a consumer will use the product and they they have an experience with the product 
and they want to be able to talk about it in a certain way and what it did for them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to say, well, you really can't say that. Right. Yes, correct. <laughs> Connect the dots there. <laughs> Sorry, we're laughing about this because we hear this all the time. Yeah. And we hear that uh, the dietary supplement's not regulated and, oh, you know, but it, when it comes down to it, the FDA actually tells us what we can or cannot say. Mm-hmm. under the structure function um, paragraph that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can only say certain things that have to do with healthy um, functions in the body. So yeah. not disease So states. you can never, ever talk about diseases or yep. it cures this or cures that. That's why we also have the statement on, on, on the bottles if we say something supports heart health or something like that. Um, we, you know, we're not allowed to treat any diseases because that's what drugs are for, correct? Yep, yep. We're not allowed to med- um, to, oh, now, of course, I forget what the statement <laughs> is. But if you look on your bottle at the yeah, very on bottom, every it, on every bottle, it says treat, prevent, treat, prevent or cure. Yeah, there you go. Yes, we can't say any of those words yeah. because that only drugs can do that. And therefore, it's a disease. Yeah. So we can only talk about structures in the in the body and we can only support them in a healthy way. And that's dietary supplements. And then yes. if you go over to topicals, it's even cl- trickier. Because yes, exactly. we are not allowed on cosmetics to impact the structure at all in our claims. Right. We have to talk about beautifying and making the skin look pretty. The appearance. Mm-hmm. And it's the appearance of. Yeah. So you'll see a lot of claims of, helps with the appearance of wrinkles, the appearance of this. And I mean, it's almost in every claim. That is kind of a way of softening it a little bit to make sure that we're not talking structure function. There are different categories in the US called over-the-counter drugs where there have been, more. there's more FDA regulation where we can say more more claims just because of all the substantiation that's been provided. Um, If you use an ingredient at this ingredient between this and this level, you can make these claims. Sunscreen actives are one of those that if you put them in, you can make this claim or like a skin protectant or things like that. And in that regard, there is something very similar on the ingestible Mm -hmm. side as well. And they're they're called qualified health claims. But that's a topic for another podcast. And I think think it's important, right? Because a consumer can use the product and they can have a remarkable experience with the product. 100%. And we certainly don't want to dismiss that. That is their experience. That's what, that was their experience with the product. We hear so many stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those are wonderful. They're fantastic. And it's very encouraging. Awesome. And, and, but, but, um, because I think that there there becomes this frustration every once in a while. Well, like, this is my experience. This is what I want to say. There is there is your experience, but there's also what's substantiated, and there's also what you know, within the within the regulations or the guardrails of what's allowed. Correct. Correct. And that's really that is actually for all of our benefit and protection because if that if we didn't have those guardrails, right? Where people just say anything. People could say whatever they wanted. Yes. Right. Exactly. And then and then you're dealing and no one's and checking th- them. And yeah. that's why the FDA back in the nineties started this whole deshay yeah. and 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 yeah. because people were saying outrageous things yeah make, make, and they're trying yeah, to protect the consumer yeah yeah as they're much to, as they to can to protect the yeah. consumer exactly. to make sure that people aren't so misled you, so or, you just see or, the claims and, exactly. we, and you like the consumer yeah. doesn't get to see the claims grid the substantiation oh, files that, that we, we have because we yeah. put yes. together really robust substantiation files on our products that yeah. back up every single one of our claims but if there wasn't any sort of checks and balances people would just yeah say whatever yeah. and there's nothing yeah. in the files yeah yeah. 
Well, I think that I think the important thing, right? The the, the takeaway here is that there are there are multiple levels of testing. Correct. Um, from in vitro to the the human or the the consumer, the consumer studies to actual human clinicals, there are multiple levels of testing. And the nice thing is, the wonderful thing and, and the admirable thing about LifeVantage is that we use one or all three on all of our products. Like everything is tested, everything is validated, and everything that we say about the product is substantiated with this scientific method and these scientific tests to ensure that one, we're, we're really delivering what we say the product is is going yes, to do. Yes, absolutely. We feel incredibly yes. passionate about yeah. that. If we're promising that a product does something, we yes. want to be sure that it does yeah, something. Because yeah. you're looking for a relief using something or you want something to change, we don't want you to be disappointed. Yeah. We yeah. want to have as much confidence as we can in the products we put out. We want to be proud of what we put out yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a big, huge part of our job is that we want to be, I, when I get up on stage to talk about a new product, I want to be so excited that I can't wait. <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen it before, but I want to just be bouncing off the walls because I can't <laughs> wait to share because I believe in it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be getting up there and being like, Oh, it didn't. Maybe it does this, and just having no yeah. belief. In yeah, because if I don't way. believe, if we don't believe in it, yeah. well, how are you, how are you guys supposed to believe yeah. in it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do it first for ourselves, yes, in confidence, and then we do it for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. This has been this has been fantastic. This has been fascinating, uh, and very very helpful. And hopefully, the hope is right. It gives a level of confidence to those that you're watching or or listening. Of of the level of scrutiny that we go through with with every literally every product, to ensure that it is doing what we say it's doing and and doing it in a, I mean I don't want to get back to a safe way because we talked about that last week but but or two weeks ago but we are literally testing um, testing everything in one method or in multiple methods yeah and a lot of times they go hand in hand too because yeah. we'll have a lot of safety. Yes endpoints as part of our efficacy studies as well. Yeah. So they go together a lot. Perfect. So what did I not ask that I should have asked? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I think you've you've asked some pretty good questions actually. Because <laughs> we gave you the outline. So, so we, we made sure that you asked the right. Well, I, yeah. th I have I have three things on my paper. In vitro, <laughs> consumer and human. Um, that seems like a lack of note taking on your part. Mm, no, fair just, enough. Just, just kidding. Just fair kidding. enough. Okay, so nothing else. No, I think we covered most of it. No, I think I think we've explained why they're important, why we would look at different ones, the benefits that they bring for each one. That there's not just because something, and I guess something to say, just because something launches with just maybe example for in vitro testing, we just mm. did RNA sequencing, doesn't mean it's any less of a product. Yeah. We believe in those products just as much as we believe in the other ones. We're yeah. always looking to use our judgment of what's the best way to explore this product and really show its efficacy. Yeah. And it's gonna look different for each product. Yeah. Yeah. And so, we, we will believe in every single product, regardless of what tier we go to, what boxes we check. Yeah. So. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect, there you perfect, go. perfect. I came up with something. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Thank you to you too. Thanks yeah, no for problem. Thanks for Appreciate it. And again, email us at productquestions at lifevantage.com and we'll answer those. And one more time, thank you to you too. Yeah, thank um, you. Both for the, the conversation and the explanation of the studies, but more importantly, for all of the work that you put in to deliver amazing products uh, for these individuals that are with us tonight. No problem. No problem. Thank you. Have a great evening. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in to the Activation Nation podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Tell your friends and share your biggest takeaways from today's discussion with anyone who could benefit from them. This episode is sponsored by Life Vantage Legacy, a nonprofit dedicated to improving lives and building a lasting impact for those in need around the world. Learn more at lifevantage.com. We look forward to sharing more with you during next week's conversation. Thanks for listening and being an important part of the Life Vantage community.